from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. We've reached the final month of the athletic season, and though most Gator sports are ramped up for the year, others are in their most critical stretch. That specifically includes baseball, which nabbed the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament and hosts regional action this weekend. Today, Jeff Cardozo breaks down the regional field with head coach Kevin O'Sullivan, and we'll also hear the latest news from around the Gator Nation with FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry, and delve further into the Gators' rich Olympic history with swimming assistant coach Anthony Nesty. But first, baseball has been dealing with high expectations ever since their exit at last year's College World Series, and with the number one seed now attached to their name, don't expect that to change. Jeff Cardozo caught up with Kevin O'Sullivan on the eve of regionals to talk about their upcoming run and what they gained from making it to the championship game of the SEC tournament. Well, it's been a fun year, Jeff, and I think we've handled the expectations well and we're looking forward to getting the regional start here on Friday. And I thought we pulled a lot of positives away from from the SC tournament in Hoover. Brady Sager had a chance to get his first start against Alabama. We played J.J. at first base, you know, just in case, you know, Pete wasn't able to play first this weekend. It looks like we'll get him back. You know, Danny Reyes, it was a great story putting him in the outfield. He had some really good at-bats. And then, obviously, Scott Moss, you know, his start against LSU was outstanding. So I think we got more depth. I think we have a better idea of who we are and maybe maybe what our lineup's going to look like moving forward. So I'm looking forward to it. The run, the SEC tournament this year, very similar to last year. I know you tinkered the lineup a little bit. You got Bader at the top of the order. So now you got Buddy at the top of the order this year. You moved a couple of guys around. You, you mentioned Reyes and, and Schwartz and some different options. But it, it seemed like the dugout was a little bit different, too. I think these guys are starting to understand what now this part of the year is all about. You were there, Jeff. It, it takes a lot of determination, a lot of focus to get through that tournament, especially after the way we lost the first one. And we had such a quick turnaround from Wednesday night into Thursday's game and then played a very good obviously a national seed on Friday in Mississippi State and another national seed in LSU and you know and another national seed Sunday <laughs> against Texas A&M so it didn't get easier as you went along but for our players to you know focus and stay determined to stay there as long as we did it says uh, you know I think it says a lot about our character and our determination and the only day the dugout wasn't good was Thursday that was the lack of sleep on Wednesday night <laughs> so that's certainly understandable but um like I said, I think we're in a good place, and we got some work to do this week. Though we made some mistakes, some hit and run stuff that we didn't put the ball in play, and we got to work on some drag and some pushes and those types of things. Because at the end of the year, there will come a time where a bunt's going to have to get down, and we're going to play bunt defense and those types of things. Because all your mistakes are magnified this time of the year. So we got to clean up some fundamental stuff this week and, and get Pete back and stay healthy and, and just try to play our best baseball down the stretch here. You mentioned all the national seeds in the league, and then you, you look at even the, the regional hosts, seven different SEC teams out of the 16 are, are at home this first weekend. So to look at that and, and understand what you guys just went through and, and, and the amount of wins that you had in this conference, that, that has to at least mean something. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird situation, the SEC season this year. Only seven teams got in. I don't remember that few of teams getting in a tournament, but all seven teams are hosting. So I think it just shows you how difficult the first top half of the league is and, you know, seven of the top ten teams in the entire country that we had to compete against week in and week out. So the depth may not have been as much a factor in the league 
as maybe years past, but I do think the top half of the league was as good as it's ever been. And now the depth's going to show when you get to the postseason. You guys did such a great job. There's only a couple times all year where you actually lost two games in a row. It's been a good group from that standpoint. I really believe that you are able to stay away from long losing streaks due to your starting pitching. If you've got pitching, you lose a game or two, and then you run a guy out there the third day or the second day after a loss, you have a chance to you know to stop a losing streak fairly quickly. So I think our pitching has been really good all year. We've got a lot of options. The unfortunate thing you know, in a regional setting or a super regional setting is it really comes down to four or five arms because we might have more depth than others. Sometimes those guys don't get used. So it's going to come down to, you know, the guys that we've leaned on all year long, Shore, Puck, and Fighter are going to have to pitch good. And obviously Dane and Kirby and Anderson and, you know, all those guys, you know, but I feel really good about Moss and, and Singer threw the ball good. So we, we've got some options there, but it, it's going to come down to the same thing. Our starting pitching is going to have to be really good. The guys out of the pen that we've used are, are going to have to be good and we're going to have to get timely hits. And what's special, too, for the fans to hear, it's now nine straight regionals, nine straight postseasons for you. That's never been done here in UF history. So you're no stranger to this. Do you, do you manage differently now? Do things start differently? Or have you learned throughout the course of the, the 56 games in the tournament uh, on what you, you need to do? Well, at the end of the day, the players win the games. And I think, you know, coaches lose the games and players win the games. And I think it's at this point of the year, you try to prepare your team the best you can, but they just got to go play. There's no more extra emphasis on, on this weekend than there was throughout the year because if you don't play well throughout the year, you don't get put in this position. And, you know, the players have really done a nice job. I mean, as far as finishing in the top eight is almost an impossible task. It's not easy to do. And with the schedule that we play, to do that seven of the nine years is a heck of an accomplishment for our players. So um, we're excited to play at home. We've obviously played very well at home, and I think our crowd's going to get behind us this weekend, and most certainly it'll help us. Did you forget what your office and your bed looked like because of the way the season ended for the last five weeks on the road? And I think, what was that, an 11- or 12-day road trip, that, that last uh, thing to finish up the SEC tournament? Yeah, it was odd. I didn't really, you know, the last three or four I knew when I looked at the schedule before the season started, I knew, you know, that the last four series would not be easy. And the one home series against Vanderbilt, obviously very talented. So I knew that was going to be a tough stretch. What I didn't take into account was the fact we had to go straight to Hoover. It was a difficult road trip. And our players battled. I mean, it could have been really easy for us to not play our best on that Thursday after a tough loss against LSU. Because I think from what people thought anyways, and I probably would have, you know, would have agreed with them at, at that point, we're probably a top eight national seed going into the SEC tournament. So I don't know what more it would have benefited our resume, but now looking back, what the tournament was really important for us for the reasons that I said, Danny Reyes, J.J. Schwartz mm-hmm. working at first, Brady Singer getting a start, Scott Moss getting a start. So maybe people think that the tournament doesn't mean much, but from my perspective, I think we gained a tremendous amount from staying as long as we did. Last thing for you, Sully, before the season started, the, the guys around Baseball America, everybody's hyping you guys up. So they knew the expectations. You knew the expectations. And to, to go do that and get the 47 wins, it was the best regular season in school history. It, it seemed like the guys at least understood what what the goal was and and now they're I don't think ready to to be done yet no I think they handled it well and let's be honest I mean it's a heck of a lot easier to fly under the radar and have less expectations and and not have that type of pressure but you and I spoke about before the season started there's just been so many things thrown at these players before we even played one game and the expectations quite honestly were unrealistic but to sit here you know I haven't really reflected yet because we've got a long way to go and we've got you know our ultimate goal is right in front of us but you know, 47 wins, get to the conference tournament final and, and play as well as we did, as consistently as we did, I think says a lot about our character and, like I said, their leadership. And, you know, we got a lot of guys that have a chance to go fairly high in the draft, and that's next Thursday, and that's looming right there too. But they have had the ability, and it's not easy to do, 
who have had the ability to put team first before personal success. And they'll all be rewarded next Thursday and Friday when the draft comes. But uh, they've handled this thing as good as I could have expected at this point. And like I said, we'll get through this regional, hopefully, and hopefully be successful, get ready for the Super Regional if we're, if we're fortunate enough and, and the draft at the same time. So we still got some things ahead of us. But up until this point, I've been really pleased with how we've handled everything. While the number one seed is good to have in theory, it certainly isn't a guarantee of your postseason fate. The best example of that would have to be the Florida softball team, whose run of the third straight national title was abruptly halted in Super Regionals last week against Georgia. We sat down with Chris Harry to hit some overall news on the orange and blue, but began by talking about the shocking walk-off homer that ended softball's run at history. The atmosphere for that uh, game two coming off the loss the night before was really something else. The fans certainly did their part. And Florida, again, pieced together some runs, took the lead. And you have the nation's number one uh, ERA pitcher on the mound with an 0-2 pitch in the last inning. And a pinch hitter comes up. And just like that, a season and not a season, Adam, but let's let's face it, an era of softball is over because you talk about those five seniors that went through a lot together and won a lot of championships together. And all of a sudden, you know, you didn't see a whole lot of tears like you may have thought like right afterwards, like a, a bunch of, you know, emotional body language, because I think everyone was just in a state of shock the way it ended. I think the stuff I just mentioned, the emotional part, probably started pouring out in the locker room afterwards. But everyone just looked stunned. And I'm sure that's the way Tim Walton was. I'm sure that's the way the players were. And, you know, it was a very difficult way for it to end. Uh, Aubrey Monroe came in and she was just talking about how, you know, watching that ball take off from, you know, behind the plate. And she starts saying how, you know, Kirsty Merritt, her teammate, her best friend of the last four years, would have run through a wall for this team. And she was expecting her to run through the wall and catch it. And all of a sudden she just started crying. And I think that kind of spoke to this team and what this team meant to each other. And they're probably waking up every day right now in the days since then and thinking about, but at the same time, uh, you know, they'll wake up down the line in, in weeks, months, and years to come and remember uh, two College World Series titles given to this program, which had gotten close before, which had never won one before. When you think about moments you've experienced and things you've covered over the years, where does that rank in terms of just shocking moments that you never would have expected to see? The closest thing, I mean, I've, I've been doing this a long time. I mean, I was at Doug Flutie's uh, game against the University of Miami, and that was one of the most shocked I've ever been. But the stakes weren't the same. Maybe the, the best thing I can equate it to, Adam, in terms of my time here at the University of Florida the last five years is the basketball team in 2014 had won 30 in a row, uh, a team of remarkable chemistry and those four incomparable seniors that were all really best friends and then they played so well and all of a sudden get to the final four and just nothing worked and UConn had some just played fantastic and boom the season's over just like that and all this stuff that they had achieved 30 games in a row undefeated season in the SEC won the SEC tournament 21 straight SEC wins beat Kentucky three times you know now it's a footnote for a team that went to the Final Four like a lot of other teams. A lot of teams go to the Final Four and lose. And that didn't make what they did any less uh, relevant to them or any less spectacular over the course of that season. And, um, you know, these girls in the bigger picture in terms of uh, championships had accomplished more than that group. And 
I'd sat down with those four seniors, Patrick Young and Will Yaget and Scotty Wilbick and Casey Prather, as they were going into the home stretch and did a senior story on them. And I sat down with the five seniors here, Taylor and Taylor and Kelsey and Aubrey and Kirsty, and talked about their time together when they first got here and how they started talking to each other. Some of them like Facebook friended each other because they knew about them and they played against each other in national tournaments. So, you know, they foster that relationship over the years and won a lot of games together, obviously. And again, won championships, won rings, and you know, there's nothing for them to run, duck, and hide from after that performance. But um, you know, you got to tip your hat to Georgia for not allowing any runs from this team. I'm sure the, the Gators look like so you probably got to score more than three runs in a super regional to get out of it, especially against Georgia, the, the best hitting team in the SEC, fourth best hitting team in the country. And they just didn't score enough. And Tim Walton likes to say, you know, he'll take pitching over hitting. This time hitting one, and you tip your hat to the Georgia Bulldogs for that. It's been a tough postseason for Florida athletics as a whole here in the spring, and especially for the women's tennis team who had aspirations of winning a national title. But there was a silver lining, at least for them, after the team was unable to win a championship. Yeah, the uh, doubles team of Brooke Austin and Courtney Keegan went into the doubles draw, the open draw after the team title. And uh, they receded third and really just dominated their field and won the first doubles title or even Gator Tennis hadn't won a singles or doubles title in the NCAA Tennis Championship since 2001. So congratulations to Brooke and Courtney. They're both juniors. They'll both be back next year. Brooke Austin played number one most of the season. I think Courtney Keegan was back and forth at number four and five. But I wrote a story about them on FloridaGators.com this week. The team kind of calls them fire and ice. Uh, Brooke Austin is kind of emotional out on the court. Courtney Keegan is a little more uh, low-key but has a kind of steely kind of look to her, can get serious, and they kind of like played off each other really, really well. And after the team lost to Stanford, remember Florida goes to the tournament seeded number one. Stanford was probably way underseeded because one of their best players didn't play early in the year, and they end up meeting in the round of 16, and Stanford wins a 4-3. to three. And then uh, in the ensuing day, Brooke Austin and Courtney Keegan are eliminated in the singles draw. Courtney Keegan is like, I'm not going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma for two weeks without bringing something home. So, you know, they were determined to get something out of that. And sure enough, uh, congratulations to those girls. Uh, kudos to Roland Thornquist for having another uh, uh, championship plaque, trophy, whatever you want to do that he can hang up in that complex. Uh, it's a great program, and you got to tip your hat to them. It's been a while since basketball season now, but before we know it, after the summer, it'll come back around. So this is one of the last times we get to talk to you before we hit the long dog days of summer. What can you tell us about what's going on at the complex? Well, you know, to be quite frank, the off season is when these guys can change a lot about their individual games and their skill sets. And this is when uh, the coaches are and the managers are out there doing individual instruction. And, you know, guys are working on their individual skills, post moves, shooting. It's a big summer for a guy like, I'll just throw out a name, Keystone. He redshirted last year. It was a developmental redshirt year. Mike White went to him before the season started and said, you know, you're not going to play a lot this year. This is totally your decision. Doreen Finney-Smith is our uh, stretch four. Now, you want to play six, eight minutes a game, or you want to sit out, get better, change your body, and come back and have four years eligibility reign, because we're not talking about a guy who's going to be playing professionally anytime soon. He's a good, solid prospect who has done an incredible job in the weight room, total gym rat. He's in there every day taking three-pointers, working on his moves to the basket. I think he's going to be a guy who they're going to count on as a redshirt freshman next year. And I go over and I work out. Preston Green helps train me too. And I'm in there sometimes when these guys are in there training. And what they're doing with some of these big guys, especially Kavarius Hayes, the goal for Kavarius Hayes this year, you know, he was what, 6'9", maybe 200 pounds when he got here last year. 
Preston Green is like, my goal is to make you mistake this guy for John Igbunu one day. Now, that's probably not going to happen, but that's kind of a statement what they're trying to do. They're trying to build up his legs. He got pushed around in the NIT game against GW. Certainly no embarrassment there because the guy's a freshman against a big horsey senior. So um, this is great developmental time where they can lock in on, on weaknesses. And in the weight room, you know, the weaknesses are pretty defined. But out there on the court, whether it's playing pickup or even more important, like I said, the individual instruction, um, whether it's Chris Chioso, whether now guys like Devin Robinson and Johnny Boone can't work out now because they're recovering from surgeries, and you know they can do the rehabs and whatever with the body parts that are available to them right now. But uh, it's all about looking forward to next year and improving on on weaknesses. And the summer doesn't go by without these guys working really hard. Summer B is when they actually take things to another level with their strength training. So we're not there yet, but uh, it'll be very busy over at the basketball facility for the next few months. In the last few weeks, we've highlighted a number of current and former Gators who are hoping to make their Olympic dreams come true in Rio, and they'd be wise to lean on their coaches for their expertise and experience. Take, for example, Anthony Nesty, an assistant coach for the Gators' swimming and diving team that broke barriers by winning gold for the tiny African nation of Suriname back in 1988. Gator Vision's Shelbrigonath found out more about Nesty's journey by going all the way back to his unique path to qualification nearly 30 years ago. I kind of uh, got my cuts the summer before, so I kind of had obviously training for college season, and then I, I had from you know April to end of July to get ready. So uh, that aspect of it, I was very fortunate to have that because it uh, obviously the I mean, everybody else kind of has a trial, so they have to make a time standard to go to the meet. But uh, you know, I was again, I was very fortunate to to have a situation like that where I could just focus on the college season and then uh, not get too stressed that I have to go to the Olympic trials or make my trials at this this meet so I can just focus on getting ready for the Olympics. So again, I was very fortunate to have that situation. Describe the feeling of making the Olympic team. Swimming at the Olympics, that, that's our Super Bowl. You know, that meet at that time during the Olympics, everybody watches it. Obviously, it's great to win the U.S. Nationals. It's great to win uh, individual NC2A champion, but it's uh, awesome to win for for your home country. You're at the 84 Olympics. What did you learn from those Olympic Games that prepared you for 88? The 84 Olympics, I thought, you know, how will I ever get to make finals for one and, you know, to win a medal? But uh, obviously, um, just like I said before, I set real high, high goals for myself. I was very confident in uh, the coaches that I had at that time, the environment I was in. And um, I, I felt that uh, if I continued to do the things that athletes do to improve themselves, I think I would I have a shot at making finals. I wasn't thinking of... Uh, meddling at all. You know, after prelims, I I really thought that I was going to swim third place. So I was going to be happy with that no matter what. Take me through that 100 fly and could you tell you were behind and what was the difference? The way I usually swam the races was a fast but controlled 50. 
and then really good coming home. I knew I could swim with all those guys the second 50, but uh, would that be enough to put me third place? Because I wasn't thinking first place, but I think uh, the, the first 50 was set up perfectly. Um, I had a good turn, and uh, I knew 75 meters to the wall. I, I was pretty confident that I, I was going to get a third. So you're thinking third place. So describe the feeling of turning around, looking up, and seeing you won excitement, disbelief, you know, that you've finally done it. Pretty funny because my dad was in the stands and I look up at them and he was just going crazy up in the stands, which was pretty good because Troy was there as well, you know, and it's, you know, all the hard work, you know, when you get to that level, you're, you're like, you, you did it. So uh, great moment for me, my family, and, uh, you know, also great no- moment for Suriname as well. Describe that a little bit more, how big that was for not only you, but for your country. You know, we're a third world country, you know, economically we weren't doing so well, so a lot of, a lot of struggles in the country at that time. But I, I tell people all this time, 53 seconds um, changed all that, so 53 seconds made people forget about all their struggles they've had. They were part of it. It was a very prideful moment for Suriname because those 53 seconds, everybody forgot about all the the struggles and uh, they put that behind them and they really celebrated the fact that one of them made it to the highest level of swimming. What was that medal ceremony like, just hearing your anthem, seeing your flag being raised? Once you get into finals, you know, obviously everybody knows the USA anthem, British anthem, but they've probably never played a Suriname anthem before. So uh, I think they asked the head of the delegation at that time if they had the anthem, because obviously no one knew where Suriname was, no one's ever heard a Suriname anthem. and. Uh, it's like I said before, it was just a great moment, especially having my dad in the stands. And uh, it was a prideful moment for all, all the people in Suriname. What did you take away from that experience that helped you the rest of your swimming career? It was the most gratifying moment of my swimming career. But by the same token, it's a, it was very difficult to get there. And when I tell people that is, you should never give up. You can have the biggest dreams believe in those dreams because you never know it may come true in my case it did so uh, you know what I tell kids when I do camps or that they should believe in themselves they should believe in what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and and from from a guy from Suriname to say that uh, I think it's just a testimony that anybody can get there. When you were competing did you feel like I've talked to some of the athletes and they said if, you know you're representing your country but you're also representing Gator Nation and what did that mean to you? Oh, That's who we are you know uh, when you go to University of Florida that's a big part of why we're so successful you, you look at the number of Olympians we've had going way back and the success we've had at the Olympics uh, for me anyway it was something that I uh, cherished that uh, you know you're, you're not only representing Suriname but also the Gator Nation so you know when you get on the blocks, time to step up. So uh, again, you're not only prideful for your country, but I bleed orange and blue. So uh, you know, I always want to do my best for the Gators. And that's going to do it for today's show. We've learned the hard way that nothing is guaranteed in the NCAA tournament, but we hope to have a baseball super regional preview for you as part of next week's show. So don't miss it. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher so you catch every episode. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the MAC.